Happy holidays. It's Brandon Laws, your host of Transform Your Workplace. This podcast is all about creating the great workplaces, giving you the tools and having discussions with really, really smart people about what it means to be a great leader and build a great workplace where people are happy, healthy, and super engaged so that way your organization can fulfill your mission. So today's conversation is with Dr. Richard Winters. Dr. Winters is an ER physician and the author of You're the Leader, Now What? Leadership Lessons from Mayo Clinic. Dr. Winters shares his approach to leadership, which includes talking about like where the blind spots are for, for leaders. How do we facilitate discussions around complex issues and how do we make strategic decisions as a collective team. And we also touch on how do we address burnout because that's a big thing too. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to hit subscribe on wherever you listen to the podcast. We're on Spotify and YouTube and Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, all those places. So make sure to subscribe so you get these episodes every Tuesday. And if you would be so kind, please share this with a friend, a colleague who can get value from these conversations that I'm having every week. And if you would be so kind to write us a review, that always helps as well. Enjoy today's episode with Dr. Richard Winters. Richard, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, you've got an interesting background. You're an emergency room doctor, right, at the Mayo Clinic. That's true. Tell me a little bit about your role. Yeah, uh, so I'm an emergency physician, take care of patients. Sometimes I'm taking care of the patients and I have to ask what day of the week it is. And I have to look at my watch just to remember what day of the week it is because we work at all hours and different times. And so about half my time is spent taking care of patients. I'm sure the the days kind of bleed into each other in, in the kind of work that you do. Today and tomorrow, yeah. What day is it, Richard? Yeah, uh, I'm looking up and I see it's <laughs> yeah, it's Tuesday right now. I think yeah. I think it's Tuesday. Well, you yeah. wrote an awesome book. It's called You're the Leader, Now What? Leadership Lessons from the Mayo Clinic. I mean, with a career like yours, what types of things did you learn in the emergency room that led you to write a book on leadership? Yeah, so I... Um, you know, you graduate from residency and I'm an emergency physician taking care of one patient at a time. And I'm starting to see things that, yeah, I think this could get better. I think we can do a better job at this. And so either I'm, you know, shouting to the world or you start to go to meetings and then maybe step up as a leader at those meetings. And what I found out was that, you know, well, I can go in and see a patient and know what to do really pretty quickly, ask a few questions. And in medicine, you write orders, you don't write suggestions. From a leadership perspective, that is not how things work out. You don't enter the, the meeting and then, you know, write an order, tell people what to do. And so that was kind of the introduction to leadership is this whole new way of thinking about how to be effective and to, in this case, move from taking care of one patient at a time to actually creating processes and stuff to help take care of whole populations of patients. And that's really what got me into this. It was interesting early on in the book, um, I think it was in the introduction, you were talking about how you're going, you know, room to room, seeing a patient, you, you, you can listen to what they're saying from, a, you know, symptoms and what's going on, and you can quickly get to a decision. I mean, you've seen cases over and over again, 
And then you said you went home and you're talking to your wife or your daughter and they might have a problem that you think is on the surface, you know, pretty basic and can come to a decision. But it's a little bit more nuanced because it's inclusive with other people. And it's just not as, as simple. It's nuanced, right? Tell me about the, the differences between those two. I mean, so I went to high school and when my daughter comes to me and she has questions, I mean, I got, I have a lot of experience there and I feel like, you know, I've kind of been there before. And so this is what I would do, but I find out that that, that isn't received so well. It's not like, do you know who I am? And then she's like, yeah, I do. And you're wrong. But that same thing happens, you know, whether it's out loud um, or not, as we're going to meetings and I would challenge any one of you, I bet any topic that you're going to talk about at your next meeting Almost in a moment, you know exactly what should be done. Like you just reflexively know what to do. You have experience, you've been there. But then also as much as you can realize that that is behind some blind spots and actually things are, it requires a a little bit of a broader perspective. Decision-making in leadership is, I think, challenging because there's, in some cases, you want to be able to make decisions on your own. And you feel like I can get to an answer, but then there's, you know, if you're working in teams, sometimes it's, you have to really take an inclusive methodology around making a decision. How do you ever process the the differences between the two? And, and maybe you shed some light on how leaders can look at that and evaluate whether it makes sense to do it, make a decision individually versus teams. Right. So I, I think it requires agility. There are times that a leader just needs to decide. The leader just needs to make a decision based on their experience and what's going on. And then there are times when a leader needs to step back and gain a shared perspective, bring a whole bunch of different perspectives together, all the different blind spots and make decisions. And our best leaders can do both. And so they can step into kind of either situations. For me, I mean, there's a bunch of frameworks, just as I'm taking care of patients, like there are frameworks that I use to take care of patients that we we come together and take care of someone who's had a gunshot wound, for example. Each of us knows what to do and where to go and what, you know, at different points. And I think in meetings, it's helpful to understand what sort of decision are we making? And there's a paper that David Snowden wrote about the Kinevin framework, it's C-Y-N-E-F-I-N, that just gives us this idea of like, what kind of a decision are we making? And for me, that that has been one of these like things that's been so helpful. And so there are times when uh, it's chaos, we don't have time, you just need to make a decision. And the leader, despite all the unknowns, just needs to kind of move forward. Those tend not to be so often though, but oftentimes as we become leaders, like that is instinctively like, okay, great. I know what to do. Let's move forward. But in most situations, things are complex and we can have our experience um, and, you know, have our expertise there. But all of our data, all this analysis that we've done is coming together around our own blind spots. And so our best leaders kind of understand that they know what to do in the moment, but they quickly step back. And it's really, it's this transformation from being an expert to being a facilitator and being a coach. And so our best leaders do that. They approach these complex issues as a facilitator, as a coach, kind of with the mind that is clear and and is trying to find the best way forward. You made an interesting point in the book, and I think this is based on research, if I recall. Uh, You said that the process in which a leader comes to a decision is like six times greater than just their analysis that they do on their own. Talk more about that. Yeah, so that was out of McKinsey Quarterly. They looked at a bunch of different decisions that were made, and they found out that process was six times more important than data, like than analysis. And it makes sense, right? I I can go to a meeting, and again, I have like I've, I've thought about this, and this is all the reasons why this is true, and I've thought about these perspectives, but it's still behind our own blind spots. And so, how much better can it be if we get a bunch of different individuals together? 
you know, one of the things at Mayo Clinic that I, I really like is this concept of triads where we have a physician leader, a nursing leader, and an administrative leader. We all have different perspectives of what's going on. And so as a physician, I know what to do. And the nurse is like, uh, you know, not so much <laughs> because there's also this thing. And the administrator has this whole different perspective. If we just move things forward from a, a, a single physician's perspective, there, there's going to be a lot of errors there. And so this is one of these, it's just the idea that process there is more important. You have a nurse, a physician, and administrator coming together, and we're able to see the problems around each other's blind spots and move forward in ways that are much more effective than just behind the blind spots of one. And when we're talking about a process, are we talking about a, a visualization around uh, working through a problem? Is this a documented operating procedure like I, I would love insight on on what the process is that you're that you're using, and maybe it's different for every decision that you come across. Let's say it's the spirit of how the organization works, which is this collaborative spirit of of you know we take care of the most complex patients, and and to do that we need to have leaders who can take care of the most complex challenges. To be a good leader, you understand that that means bringing different perspectives together. That's how it works out, and so as we face uh, issues and and things. It's natural for experts to come together to help each other figure out what's what might be the best ways forward. You talked in the book about the VUCA environment, which is volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. This environment that we're in, I don't know if it's just recency bias, but it seems chaotic. And making decisions in that kind of an environment can be tough, especially if we have our own biases and entrained thinking, as you said in the book. How do we make decisions in this kind of environment? The comforting thing is that, like, you're wrong. Like, you don't have the answer, right? It's like, okay, good. So if you if you start from that frame of mind, like, I'm wrong, is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. If any leader thinks that they're going to approach this these kind of volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous situations with the answer, you know, that's... But a lot of leaders feel that pressure. They feel like they need to know the answer. And actually, in this situation, there's no way. There's no way you could know the answer. And if you think you know the answer, then let's step back a little bit and look at the situation. So it can be freeing then to not feel the weight of this decision on your shoulders. It's really you want to approach the situation. You know, each of us has our individual genius. And there's this concept of seniors, right, where you're bringing lots of different perspectives together. It's like the wisdom of the room. And so your role as a leader is really to collect different perspectives agreements, disagreements, fears, worries, all these different things before you start to think about the way forward. And there is no one correct answer. It's things aren't ones and zeros, yeses and nos. There's lots of possibilities. And so it can be freeing for a leader to realize that they actually don't and should not have the answer in those moments. It's interesting because perspective is, I think, everything when it comes to decision-making. In chapter three, you talked about stepping up to the balcony. And before we started recording, I was asking, who did, who did all the illustrations in your book? And you did, right? Yeah. And there's a really cool illustration talking about stepping up to the balcony, what that means. So if you have people dancing at the dance room floor and and you're like in there in the moment, it's a very different perspective than if you were to walk up the stairs and look over at people dancing. It's a very different experience, right? And even sometimes in corporate jargon, we talk about, let's go look at a 30,000 foot level or, or whatever the saying is. And that might be a little too high. That's a little too outside the perspective. So talk about like what that means, stepping up to the balcony and how that can help us make decisions better. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a metaphor that came from Ron Heifetz. He was Leadership on the Line was one of his books. And for me, each of us has this perspective of what's going on as we're in the meeting and what other people might say and how they would respond. And when we say this, what they might do. And this is perspective of the dance floor. Like we hear the music and we have the moves in that moment. How helpful could it be 
during those moments, instead of just like dancing the dance, is we took some time, found some time to step up onto the balcony to gain some different perspectives. And to be able to see different aspects of the room, see different perspectives, and maybe react in different ways that are more informed than if we were just reflexively kind of reacting in the moment. And and so we can do that during our conversation. I mean, you can take a moment and just kind of think maybe from some different perspectives, that balcony perspective where you're not so reflexive. And then groups, teams can get together and, and purposefully take some time and really think about the experience and, and the various things that might be going on, what others might think. You can kind of um, envision from different people's perspectives, or maybe you reach out and ask their perspectives and, and gain this broader perspective. You become better dancers in the moment. Right. Are there any exercises or just intentional behaviors that you do to make sure you're stepping out to the balcony? Because oftentimes we, you know, we come from a place of bias or we're, we're just so in it in the weeds sometimes that it's hard to take a step out. There's a couple things here. One is it's helpful to understand what kind of a decision that we're making. And so that doesn't form the decision-making style, like what should happen. We tend to put these agendas together and like, all right, 10 minutes for this, 15 <laughs> minutes for this, 10 minutes for this. And it's like, yeah, some of these things really are, are, we need expert opinion. Some of these things where we can all collectively come together. And in some of these things, it requires actually us approaching things from shared perspective. And so as we deliberately plan our meetings, we can plan for those sorts of decisions that can help keep us in line. Then the other way is just to realize as I guess an exercise is to realize how quickly ideas come to you in the moment, reflexively, you make decisions. And then to understand that it's a feature, it keeps you from getting hit by a bus. I mean, I know how to sit in a chair. It's bottom first as opposed to head first. Like there's some decisions that it really helps us to live in the world. But for a lot of things, um, we want to try to find these processes that help us come together. You bring up in the book several issues that leaders deal with, one of which is burnout. And in your industry in particular, I think burnout is running rampant with you know, doctors, nurses, and especially over the last couple of years. How do you recommend that leaders deal with burnout? Is it Does it start with self-awareness first? Do people know how to name it? Yeah, there's a, a couple things. I think, first of all, if you go online and you see people talk about burnout, there's a lot of blame and victiming. And that's I'm not sure that that is so helpful. I think people need to vent and stuff, but there can be a lot of blaming on others. I like to think of it as having a, a couple, like some different levels. And so instead of just shouting at the worlds and the politicians, the insurance companies, the marketing, you know, so there are organizational things that can happen. An organization can measure burnout, what measure well-being, you know, measure quality, measure cost, measure revenue. And as we start to see burnout, we have to have an organizational approach to it. We need to own it at an organizational level. Is that happening? If not, then there's probably some things you need to do. You know, I, I walk into a room and take care of a patient. I'm not going to make a diagnosis without a vital sign. Burnout is an organizational vital sign, and any leader needs to incorporate that into their strategic decision making. And so that's one level, the organizational level. I think the second level, which is a, a place where a, real, a leader can really make a big impact is the kind of intercollegial level, the way that we're working together, how we come together to make decisions. And, and this is like, how do we run our meetings? How do we make our decisions? Are we seeking different perspectives? Are we bringing people together? Are they feeling uh, like they're being heard. And there's a lot of work that can be done there. And then I think the final uh, level is the one that people tend to focus on, which is the individual level. And there, there are some things like, I know that if I haven't slept well, if I haven't eaten well, if I haven't exercised, I'm prickly and I'm more likely to be burned out. And so I, I can be correcting those sorts of things. But there's also ways that we make sense of the world that can almost trap us. This, I need to stay here in this town, or I need to stay with this group, or 
for me to be successful. There's lots of things just that we do ourselves that if, if we look back, we probably wouldn't have done this 10 years ago because we changed the way we make sense of things that can help lead us out of burnout. And a lot of those can revolve around these difficult professional goals that we have and work forward with. So that's on one side. And, and so these different kind of levels. On the other side, I mean, I, I talk to physicians. So I give a talk to all of our new uh, physicians and scientists and I and I can ask them, hey, name six causes of metabolic acidosis. And everyone's, oh, yeah, I know this. And like, what are the cranial nerves? Oh, I know this. What are the components of well-being? <laughs> like, Deer in the headlights. Silence. <laughs> right. So, okay. All right. So you can tell like, you know, every cranial nerve, you know, all these like weird paths within the body, but you don't know the very components of your own well-being. And I think that's true for most leaders, honestly, is I think that this language of what is well-being, it's helpful to have that language. And so for me, a, a helpful kind of thing is something, I'm a physician, so I put things in terms of mnemonics. There's this concept called eudaimonic well-being. So there's eudaimonic well-being and there's hedonic well-being. Hedonic well-being is, well, last night we went out and had drinks and ate pizza and uh, now I, f- I feel bad, but I felt good. If there's hedonic stuff. It feels good in the moment, but it isn't long-lasting. I'm talking about eudaimonic, which is more of this long-lasting sense of well-being. And there are six components there that I put this mnemonic called pagers. And so P is purpose. The sense that we're aligned with the mission, the values, the purpose of the organization. That's a big thing. If we feel like the organization is, is exhibiting values that we don't, that we may start feeling burned out. It is autonomy. And this is a sense that we can affect change, that we're being heard, that our ideas are being considered. And so as we're running meetings, are we actually hearing people? Are we gaining different perspectives or are we just moving forward from the perspective of the leader? The G is personal growth, this sense that we can be better today than we were yesterday and that the organization's there to help us and that we're on this kind of arc to be improving. E is environmental mastery. And so do we have the things we need to get our job done? Do we have the resources? And maybe resources are scarce. I mean, we've been during times of COVID where there just aren't the resources. Given that, then can we figure out how to get around this, these kind of limitations? And then R is, is relations. And so we need positive relations because working negative people kind of stinks. And then the final thing is S, which is self-acceptance. And this is, as a coach of leaders at all levels, and I see in the most senior leaders, it's difficult to accept the fact that we make mistakes, that we're fallible, that we would approach things in different ways. And you can imagine for physicians and nurses, sometimes there are patients uh, have bad outcomes and the guilt that people can feel can be paralyzing and the ability to be self-accepting and to move forward from that is is so important. And so you have these three levels, organizational, the kind of interpersonal interactions, the individual, and then you have pagers and you can start to see how there's this cross. You can be thinking about each of these levels with each of these different components of, of well-being. And that's a start. It's a start to have a language to think about burnout. What I love about that is it seems like that's also a way to engage levels of the entire organization, not just leaders. It seems like that that is certainly the path to well-being for the leaders, but even employees at every level connects them to the purpose, engages them, and then hopefully they can fight burnout that way. It seems like with burnout, if we suffer by ourselves, we're going to struggle long-term to get out of the burnout. It seems like we need, we need our leaders, we need our people, we need our teams to, to work together to get out of that. Totally. And so let's say that the board isn't on board. Let's say the CEO isn't on board, but you are still in a position of leadership. And even with your team or with your group, you can decide that this is an important thing and figure out how to move forward together, how to improve the way that you're communicating, the way you're running meetings. 
And so I don't, don't think about leadership as just being a formal position. It's as much of an informal role as anything. There's some, a lot of changes are being made in the performance management area. One-on-ones are becoming a more regular thing. Did you guys, do you guys do that at the Mayo Clinic? Did you guys shift to one-on-ones and and talking about a lot of these issues, decision-making and development and, and really connecting people to the purpose overall? Yeah. So, and it's not necessarily an annual review, right? right? Because that's kind of a thing Mm -hmm. in the past, but uh, our best leaders are really connecting with their colleagues and trying to find out. I mean, the best kind of performance reviews are asking the individual what it is that they're wanting to achieve. How can we help you achieve that? What are the things that you're seeing and approaching it from that perspective? Again, as a coach and as a facilitator, as opposed to someone saying, Brandon, from my perspective, this is what you should be doing. You'd want to be saying, so Brandon, what do you want to be doing? What are some of your favorite coaching questions in one-on-ones? So I think that's basically it. So what is it that you'd like to be doing? I mean, just those open-ended questions. What's been challenging for you? I I think as you get deeper, you start hearing people say, one of the great things is on the one hand, I hear you saying this. On the other hand, I hear you saying that. How do you put these two things together? How would you like to move forward? What have you seen others do that has worked? What if you did nothing right now? What if you just had the status quo? Like, what would be the effects of that? You're just really, it's like, the old computers, like the old Windows computer where you'd open up Office and then you'd open, like you'd open up Word, and then you'd open up Excel and you'd open up PowerPoint and the ball is like spinning and the computer's like grinding to a halt. Oh, yeah. Well, like, I feel like that's how we are as we're thinking about these really complex issues. And a leader, a coach, a colleague can help us by approaching us with these coaching-like questions. And it's it's like adding RAM to the computer. And so I can help you think about things that are really complex in ways that are more efficient, just by holding ideas for you and, and bringing them back to you and helping you play with them and then helping you expand the way that you're thinking. Is there a formal framework that you have used and even recommend people to work through complex challenges yeah. like you just described? I mean, we're inevitably going to encounter things that are not fun. We need to work through them. Right, right. So I think for groups of individuals, I, I, there's something that I call the row forward framework. And so first of all, let's just step back and, and think what happens oftentimes is you introduce one of these complex sorts of situations, these prickly challenges, is what tends to happen is the leader says what they think, and then this is what we should do. Maybe one or two other people say, this is what we should do. And you kind of row backwards. Like they just say, this is what we should do, and everyone get on board. So the idea behind row row forward is that first, you the R is that you establish some sense of shared perspective, some shared reality. The R is reality. And so within that, you're understanding not only what you think, but what your colleagues are thinking, people inside and outside the room. You're understanding the fears and worries and you're establishing a vision together. And only then do you start to move forward to what are the options. So given this shared reality, what might we do moving forward? And you want to brainstorm a lot of different ideas. And all these things are best starting with the individual, and then with groups, and then teams, uh, as opposed to starting out with teams where one person says something and everyone shuts down. We want to be creative here. And so then you decide multiple options um, for how you might move forward. And then only then do you pick some of these options and decide which of these options make sense. And then these are the way forward. These are the objectives that you're going to start to pursue. Again, groups tend to jump to way forward, but it's not very helpful. Is there a particular way you document this so that other teams, maybe outside of a particular function, could even learn from this process? So how often are you in a meeting where someone keeps saying the same thing over and over again? So often. I'm not trying to not throwing anybody under the bus or anything, but it, it happens over the course of my entire career. It's like what we we're 
processing the same issue, but right. yet nobody's learning. All right, Winters, we already heard you say that. Okay, this is the third time you say, yeah, okay. But so if you were to write that down, like I think as we're running meetings, uh, it can be very effective to write what people are saying down, whether that's on a whiteboard, whether that's on a living document, you're capturing these perspectives. And then when winters, you know, when I say the same thing for the third time, you're, you can be like, that's right. And, and so we have that here. What else? What other things should we be considering? It, on the one hand, it helps you keep you grounded and moving forward so people aren't restating things. On the other hand, if you're not writing it down, people often don't feel like they have been heard. So often we say something and then the group moves on and it feels like we're unheard. And again, it is because oftentimes we were unheard that people are just thinking about what they're going to say. And so as we can write these things down, we start to see really clearly in a different way, the agreements, the disagreements, the various perspectives, and that can help us. We can read through these things as we come together and start to decide how we might move forward. Is there any areas where teams might get hung up on the road model? Yeah, I mean, at some point, you just need to decide to progress. And so you can get this data paralysis where everyone still wants, oh, we need more information, we need more information. Okay. So actually, part of the way forward may be that we break out and gather more information on this part, but there's probably other things that we can be doing along the way. And so I think you want to break out some of these limitations and you get a group of physicians together. I don't know. We need more data. We need more data. You know, it's like that could be type A. All right. Let's just wait for another paper to get published, I guess. No, we need to keep moving forward. And so part of especially in the complex environment is that information is evolving and we need to move forward or not, I guess. What's the what's the risk of status quo and generally the risk of status quo? And it could be helpful for a leader to say, okay, okay. um, so let's just say let's just do nothing. Then what? Uh, Okay, yeah. Oh, we should probably move forward. All right. That's good perspective because you do need to move forward. If there's an issue that's lingering that could be detrimental, especially in the space that you're in, you do have to move forward. So at least that is an alignment piece with whoever you're working with, I'm sure. This like best practice, I love this, which is by definition, best practice is past practice. Oftentimes we find ourselves in these situations where individuals are speaking for the best practice. They're arguing for it. And again, yeah, we could just keep doing this, what we've always been doing, what's always been working. But what happens if we do that? The risk of not doing something oftentimes, if we don't say that out loud, people want to stop things. You see that the risk of doing nothing or or not innovating or not moving forward is actually more risky. Well, this has been a really fun discussion. There's so much more to unpack, but um, I just encourage people to go get the book. In parting, is there anything else that you'd want to say to to leaders? I mean, you've you've had a heck of a career. You've worked with some of the smartest people in the world. And when you're working with that smart of people, you have to come together as a team and move forward. So I don't know if there's anything else you'd want to say in parting, but love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is that being a good leader is just a, this is this part of each of us evolving in situations that are really difficult for us, that emotionally, physically, you know, we're in these situations where people don't agree and they can be very painful, but these are also huge times of growth. And so as much as you can, you know, you're, you're listening to the podcast here. I would say listen to Brandon's podcast more. You're hearing different perspectives, read books, try to get outside of the silo where people are just complaining and, and try to read about what, what might be and what is possible and learn about different ways. That's our best leaders do that. 
Richard, thank you for coming on the podcast. Any, um, where do you want to point people to your book, your, your website, anything like that? Yeah. So the, so the book, you're the leader now, what it's available at any bookstore basically. Um, and it's hard book. It's, uh, it's also electronic, uh, like through Kindle. And also there's an audio book. I recorded it here in my basement with sound blankets. It's your voice. I love yeah. it. <laughs> and, or you can go to my website very creatively titled richardwinters.com. Please tell me there's more illustrations there. Uh, actually there are. <laughs> some there are some but you can get links to my you know twitter and, and linkedin page where where there's more my guest today has been dr richard winters thank you for being part of transforming workplace thanks for coming on the show thank you brandon the views thoughts and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.